Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger. Today on the Better Off Podcast, Nicole Lappin, the author of, wait for it, Boss Bitch. It's a simple 12-step plan to take charge of your career. Get over it, people. It's fine. She's okay with the word. No job is going to be rainbows and butterflies every single day. But if you figure out how you can make it awesome for yourself, then you're more likely to be jazzed every day. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast, sponsored by Betterment, the smarter way to invest your money. I'm your host, Jill Schlesinger. We have an amazingly fun interview with author and financial journalist Nicole Lappin. That's coming up. But I wanted to first address big issues that are going on that sort of are the intersection of politics, economics, and fiscal policy. People are embarrassed about terminology. Okay? Now, First of all, you can always write me and ask me on the sly, I don't get this or that. Just send an email, askjill at betteroffpodcast.com. That's what's happened over the last few weeks because I got someone who sheepishly wrote and said, after President Trump released this budget blueprint, I'm just wondering, and I'm embarrassed that I don't know the answer to this, can you please explain on the podcast the difference between the deficit, and the national debt. And yes, I will, because you know why? There's a ton of people who don't get that. So I'm so happy that you wrote it, and I promised I wouldn't say your name, so I'm not saying your name. But the deficit gang, that's the annual calculation, which is the difference between what the government takes in and what it spends. It's kind of like your family's annual budget. The national debt is actually the total amount that the country borrows year after year Think of it sort of like this outstanding IOU that's out there. But I did want to bring up one other point, which is I got an email from somebody who really did not understand the difference between discretionary spending and non-discretionary spending, meaning discretionary spending, defense, education, transportation programs, EPA, all the you know National Council for the Arts, those discretionary items are determined through the congressional appropriations process. But the other side of government spending, in fact, the majority of it, a little over 60%, is mandatory or non-discretionary spending. It is governed by law, and that includes entitlement programs. That's Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid, you know, unemployment insurance and federal retirement programs and student loan programs and deposit insurance. What you need to know is that in any conversation about the national debt. If we're talking about the discretionary part, that's the part where you're not going to get the biggest bang for your buck. That's not where the problems lie in our national debt. The problems are really circling around these entitlement programs and specifically Medicare and Medicaid. And that's what you want to really pay attention to, because if there's going to be any sort of big time conversation around the national debt, It's going to include something called entitlement reform, and that's going to mean that there are going to be changes to these programs. And when you hear changes, you better perk up, gang, because that's something that could impact your life. Okay, so that's your federal spending debt deficit boot camp. Now let's talk to Nicole Lappin. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Okay, it's time for our interview segment, and we are so psyched. Because Nicole Lappin is in the house. Nicole Lappin, author of Boss Bitch, A Simple 12-Step Plan to Take Charge of Your Career. 
Hey, Nicole, welcome hey, to Better hey. Off. You know, no one knows this. We've been talking for an hour already. BFFs. You know, Spirit it's kind of scary. Soul sisters from another mister. I like that very much. <laughs> um, so let me give you your, let me do the bio. I got oh. to do the intro. Even if it's a podcast, I still have to do like kind of the basic intro. Nicole is the star of CBS TV's nationally syndicated business competition reality show, Hatched. And now it's in its second season. She was the youngest anchor ever at CNN, then at CNBC. Uh, she has also been on Bloomberg, Today, what Bloomberg, Today, MSNBC. You are currently Red Book Magazine's first ever money columnist, which is totally cool. Her first book is called Rich Bitch, and it is a personal finance guide for women. It was a New York Times bestseller. Uh, she's super smarty pants, graduated valedictorian from Northwestern, and now the new book, and which is more about career. But let's go back to the first book. Why write a book specifically targeted at women as opposed to everybody? So my former self was a girl who didn't know anything about money at all. My boyfriend in high school said he wanted to be a hedge fund manager. Who says that? You should have dumped him immediately. That's like a that's a that worst was a bad sign. Red flag. Agreed. Mm-hmm. And I thought he wanted to be in gardening. <laughs> and he legit, Jill, dumped me because he went to Yale and whatever, like couldn't hang out with his Wall Street friends. And fast forward like 10 years later, his Wall Street friends definitely want to hang out with me now. I bet. I Who's bet. laughing last? I'm like the brunette L. Woods. <laughs> the Jewish version. Um, okay. So what about finances do most women kind of get wrong? So, you know, I think it's a conversation that we are scared to have. I used to break out into hives even thinking about talking about money. Is that because you grew up with nothing or because you were just intimidated by it? It was a combination of both. You know, look, we don't learn this stuff in school. And so I named my books a little bit of a racy title. It was a little bit of a risk, obviously. Like, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Um, But I realized that the ends would justify the means. And I wanted to reach a young woman who would have never picked up a money book otherwise, but picked it up because it was speaking her language. I know exactly the audience I'm reaching. I know who she is. I can't be all things to all people. And I say this for business in general in your career, whether you're in a bigger company or starting your own business. If you're trying to be all things to all people, you are nothing to no one. And wherever you are, even if you're working in a bigger company, it's important to have your own brand because that's the only portable thing you're going to have in your life. Before we get to the meat of this, we ask every single guest on Better Off an introductory question. You ready? Born ready, sister. Best money decision you've ever made? The best money decision I ever made was getting out of debt by breaking it up into a day. So I had $5,000 of credit card debt. I grew up in an immigrant household, which was only cash. And I... When I got a credit card, I got ahead of myself like a lot of young women do. Um, And I was so overwhelmed by that number. And I broke it down to $8 a day. And that was the thing that felt most manageable to me. That's interesting because, you know, when you think about breaking things down, I I have often found that when you say to somebody, well, you know, you need to have $3 million saved when you get to be age 65, it's a daunting number. But if you say, but that actually means that you're going to put $18,000 away in your 401k and the rest of your money is going to grow and it feels doable. So the, the idea being, let's Figure Baby out, steps. Right. And let's get something achievable that doesn't feel so scary, right? Break it down. Absolutely. So we can do that with our financial lives. Um, it's a little bit harder to do that with your career, right? I mean, because I think that people, 
I, especially younger women, they, they seem to want to get so hyper-focused so early in their careers. And when people ask me career advice, I'm like, dude, don't ask me. Like, I was all over the place. I was a trader. I was an investment advisor. I'm now in the media. Like, I didn't, there's no straight path to where I am. Give some advice to the people listening that helps them understand they don't have to go straight up a ladder, right? That's your mama's. Yeah. career advice. Yeah. It really isn't this these days. It's more like I, I think of it visually because I try to put all this wonky, jargony money stuff that people get intimidated by into visual things and stories. You know, the hardest part about money is the humanities part. It's not the, you know, the math part, the math a fifth grader can do. It's the, you know, dealing with your friends about money. It's dealing with your spouse about money. And so I think the idea of a rope swing is that we go, especially for women, through different stages in our lives, different permutations. Um, you know, I worked for bigger companies, massive companies, and then I worked for myself. I could go back to working for a bigger company. I could be the boss of my home. You know, we all go through this. And I think it's about embracing that. And you're not going to follow anyone's career path. You know, nobody's going to follow Jill's career path. No one's going to follow Nicole's career path. We come from different family backgrounds. We come from different experiences. It's about owning that. What was the best thing about working for a big company versus now you work for yourself? But what was the best thing about working for a big company? What did you get out of that? You know, it actually helped me figure out my own brand. And so I think you can figure out a brand within a bigger company and not rub people the wrong way. So it was a fine line and I messed it up a lot being out for yourself versus being, you know, in the general company and being in it for the company and their brand because they're going to have a brand, but you can create one for yourself. You know, people hate that word. You're, I'm telling you right now, somebody is like listening to this on a treadmill and being like, oh, like, why? I hate that idea. No. Brand, brand, no, brand. No, 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 no. But you have to find your own niche. Otherwise, you're a commodity. You know, and it's not the pork belly kind. It's not the silver kind. It's like you're replaceable and you have to find something that you are best at. And you can find that sweet spot within any company. You can make that job your own. No job is going to be rainbows and butterflies every single day. But if you figure out how you can make it awesome for yourself, then you're more likely to be jazzed every day. Okay. You don't know how to yeah. make your own brand. Nicole Lappin has the way to do it. First, you come up with adjectives that you use to describe yourself in Nicole's sassy, smart, honest, fun, aspirational. Then what did you do? Did you talk to other people and say, what adjectives do you use to describe me? So or I paid thousands of dollars to like a brand consultant. And what I wanted to do was give you all the cliff notes of all the important stuff, right? So please don't pay other, <laughs> use my stuff. Um, there you go. And so, you know, this was when I was leaving a bigger company and before I was launching books and I wanted to figure out, you know, what that you know, niche was, again, because I needed to figure out exactly who I was and who I was targeting. And so, you know, I realized that I was sassy and I swore a lot and I needed to own those things because your audience, whether they're listening to a podcast or they're reading a column, they know whether you're authentic or not. And I actually had like four false starts for books. And I'm so glad that those books didn't see fruition. I had a bunch of agents, a bunch of proposals. I had a book contract that I had to get out of. And looking back in hindsight, I'm so glad that those books didn't happen because they wouldn't have been successful. And you don't get another chance at your first book. That's so true. So adjectives others use to describe you. So if we're just listening, should you go ask your friends, like, what what are the three adjectives you use to describe me? Should, is that worthwhile doing or coworkers? Yeah, why okay. not? Okay. But you also know. You think? I think you know. I think if you're self-aware and you're honest with yourself, you should know what 
people say about you, good, bad, and it's okay. Not everyone's going to love you. That's okay. I um, I did this exercise, by the way, Amazing. and I found out the um, some of the adjectives that others use to describe Do you me. Tell? Funny, smart, empathic, authentic, fun, easy to work with. That was like my favorite one. I, I would also what, say no filter. Zero. Yeah. But that's okay. I mean, when I'm on the network, I have a filter because you have to. But I, I'm not very filtered. I don't know what my untapped skills are. How should people think about that untapped skill? Yeah, so I think it's even things that you might not think about that are weird because we're weird. Um, so if you work at a dentist's office, let's say, and you really love flower arranging, you know, it's about thinking of those little random things. Maybe you have all sorts of random containers and you make flower arrangements and you get noticed for that. You know, it's about incorporating things that you don't necessarily think can relate to your job with that job. All right, let's talk about the side hustle for a second. There's a lot of people listening here and they're like, I don't I don't know, Nicole, I don't know if I can really start my own business or I have an idea. What's the side hustle experiment that people should be conducting? Yeah, so if you're obsessing over something, whether it's alpaca farming or starting some <laughs> artisanal whatever soap shop, you know, I always think you have to test it on the side, especially if you're in a bigger company because you still have a security net and you if you burn your corporate bra really quickly, then you don't have that. And let's be serious, you know, 80% of businesses fail. You're not going to make money in the first year. Don't be delusional about that. Accept that failure is going to happen. So let's say you want to start a cupcake shop and you love you know making cupcakes for your girlfriends every weekend and your family and it's super fun and super cute and then you actually try to sell it and then you have to source flour and then you have to get a commercial kitchen and then you have to be the accountant and then you have to clean up the floor and all of this stuff then goes from a hobby to a jobby and then sometimes you realize wait i don't want to source this stuff wait this is not fun anymore and so you you get it out of your system and you never wonder what if this is such a great thing because i love your all the grids that are in the book so you'll see this when you guys buy this book boss bitch a simple 12-step plan to take charge of your career there's all these fun exercises and um, here's one of the things that you should think about when you start your hide, side hustle. You, you create your grid. And um, on the left side, you say, I'm really good at. And you fill in what you're really Whatever good at. Whatever you are. Whatever you are. Even watching TV, you can get paid for that. I love no that. No joke. I know. Mark, you could write down, I'm really good at drinking bourbon. Okay? <laughs> you could be a bourbon taster. Yes. I see a need in the market for... And then, right? So then, and then I can see myself making money doing. And I like those three steps because I think you're right. The difference between a hobby and a jobby can be very daunting. It could actually make you go broke pretty quickly. Like, look at all the people who start restaurants. Like, I'm a good cook. That doesn't mean you know how to run a restaurant. That's right. So I, I think that that's incredibly helpful to help to, to guide people about, hey, you know what? Like, these are practical steps. The other part of the sort of practical step is that you ask many questions of yourself. So talk about, is your idea a jobby or a hobby? Like, how do you determine that? Yeah, so are you going to make money? Like, this is not a charity. You're not, you know, you want to make money ultimately on the side. And sometimes side hustles are just for money. You know, you can rent your dog. Seriously, there are like guys I, who rent their dogs okay, to I have pick two up dogs. chicks at the park. Okay, I have two dogs and they are not for rent. <laughs> but I would lend them to you <laughs> if that okay. would help you in your adventures. Don't 
early, but you can rent a tent. You can rent tools. Like there are ways you can be an Uber driver. You know, maybe that's not your ultimate passion or a Postmate or whatever task rabbit, but that's a way to make money on the side. You know, there's another side hustle where you're incubating your passion and seeing if that can turn into a business. But you have to be really honest with yourself. If you're not going to make money, that's not a business. And you know what I love also in this part of the book, what you do when you say, are you ready for this? Are you really ready for this? And one of the things you talk about is the financial steps to take to get ready to really do something full time. Can you talk a little bit about what you did? I mean, you had a nice job. Paid you a bunch of money. Got to love Nicole. She like writes down how much money she made in all of her jobs. I have to. I tell other women to do it. So I have to put my money where my mouth is, obviously. God bless you. Um, And and of course, there are like women in broadcasting who are like, what? (laughs) I've I've sort of always wondering like, well, what do other people make? If we don't know, how are we going to get ahead? It's like if you put your house for sale and you don't know the comp of the area, how are you going to know how to price it? Ask the question. Like we what was women go to dinner and we talk about really embarrassing things. We talk about I don't even know what I'm allowed to say here. Bikini waxes. We talk about <sighs> all sorts of like really personal stuff. And then when it comes to money, well, I'll ask my girlfriends how much is in your savings. Like I'll point blank ask them because I want to help them. I'm not trying to judge them. And I'll be know, like crickets. And and what's funny is because I was a financial planner, I ask those questions so naturally sometimes. It just yeah. like comes out of my mouth. So what is it that financially you needed to do to get ready to make the shift? Yeah, so some of the stuff is not sexy. Um, having a, a bunch of money in savings is important. Ideally, a year, nine months to a year. Um, you know, that's the time you're not going to make money and get real with that. And it's also, you know, not sexy things like do you need health insurance for you and your family? Like you don't need to be a hero. There's nothing wrong with working to support your family. Like maybe this is not for you. And that's cool. You know, it's you have to really assess like if you have somebody sick in your family, and you need these benefits like Keep the benefits. Right. You're not going to have those if you're starting your own company. I don't care what your passion is. Like, you've got to kind of look at your downside risk first. You know, I put my trading cap on for a second. Like, what's my worst case scenario? Right. That's number one. Then I'll shift over and be like, okay, now let's talk about my passion. But you're right. You've got to cover these basics. So uh, let's say a year of, of your expenses in the bank. Of course, that presumes that people know what their expenses are. So I'm sure you say track your expenses. Yeah, absolutely. And like the basic <laughs> ones, you're not talking about the extra foofy, like little black dresses that you're wearing. Like that's not but happening. You also, but you also talk about scaling back your lifestyle. And did you do that? Yeah, I. you have to. And you have to keep that pretty consistent until you start making money and you bring in sales, revenue, whatever it is. And it's also about having low expectations. Jill, there are not a lot of truisms in the financial world. One, I think, is buy low, sell high. And the other one is it's better to beat low expectations. And it's easier to feel surprised when you succeed than feeling so deflated when you think you're going to knock it out of the park and you don't. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. I know you all want to knock it out of the park. And we're going to get back to our interview with Nicole Lapp, and she's going to help you knock it out of the park. But so much of the stuff that we've been talking about, whether it's beating low expectations or how to determine whether you've got a jobby or a hobby or whether you're really ready to do something that is different than what you're doing now, includes a pretty good assessment of where you are, asking yourself some questions. But maybe as you're asking these questions and you're preparing financially to turn your jobby hobby into a career, maybe you're asking yourself, wait a minute, is this going to allow me to retire on time? 
Is this going to be worth it? The risk is the risk worth the potential reward? Maybe this starts to get into questions of, am I willing to give up my comfortable retirement plan and start something on my own? You know what? There's so many unknowns. And our sponsor, Betterment, believes that it has the answer to these questions. Betterment has technology that helps you plan for the future and manage your investments intelligently with special attention paid to lowering fees and minimizing taxes. Betterment may be able to beat your low expectations for the world of financial services because they've got globally diversified portfolios, automatic rebalancing of those portfolios, tax-efficient features, award-winning customer service, and hey, guess what? Betterment is a fiduciary. And for those who have more complex financial situations or maybe just want someone to talk to, Betterment offers two additional service plans. They give you access to a team of CFP professionals and licensed financial experts. You know, I love that CFP designation. I'm the CFP board senior ambassador, for goodness sakes. Anyway, don't waste your time and money spinning out of control. Check out Betterment. You can sign up through our podcast link. Get one month managed free. Visit Betterment.com slash off for the offer and more information. And now back to my interview with Nicole Lappin. Now that you have your own company, what did you not anticipate that has surprised you? Oh, my God. I learned so. That's why I wanted to write down everything I learned along the way that you. I wish I knew but didn't. You know, I got sued for trademarks. I, you know, I had no idea that I needed to check trade. Like, hello, Captain Obvious. Didn't realize that. Didn't know that there were all these awesome, like, retirement options that you now have as a business owner, like a SEP and a simple. Like, awesome. Like, 401k is the super darling. You can have a solo 401k. You can have Go your to own. Town. I'm going to give you one other one that's even better. You can have, do you have employees? Yes. Mm, this isn't going to work as well for you. If you don't have employees, you can have your own defined benefit plan. And yeah. you can put up to... I think $215,000 a year away for pre-tax for yourself in retirement. Okay, there's my little help there for you. Forgetting about like what you couldn't anticipate, what did you anticipate but you kind of thought you had covered but you didn't have covered? Hmm. What did I think I had covered? I probably thought I had covered hiring because I've always been a communicator. I've always been a people person, but I messed that up so many times. And I just assumed, you know, I I hired people I'd worked with before and I thought we were similar spirit animals like you and I. You know, we weren't. And being on the same page, assuming we're on the same page, that was my fault. That was not anybody else's fault. Not having stuff in writing because you think you're like, you know, totally going to you're totally simpatico and taking over the world was a huge mistake. But I didn't anticipate that because I thought, you know, I'm good at creating relationships. I'm good at getting people to trust me. Now, if I decide I don't want to start my own business and I want to kind of enhance my career at a big company, how can I bring the boss mentality, even though I'm not the boss, what is that that I'm going to bring to work every day that you think is going to enhance my human capital? So it's coming up with your shtick. 
And I don't know why people are so embarrassed by this. So when I was at CNN, as you said, I was 21 years old. I had no idea why they hired me. I had no idea why my badge worked every single day. When I auditioned there, I was like, do they know how old I am? Because this is clearly a joke. I went there. I had a little guy. Well, he wasn't a little guy. He was waiting for me uh, at the airport with a sign with my name on it going into a black car. I thought I died and gone to heaven. Like the fluffy blanket at the Intercontinental (laughs) that they put me in. I was like, oh, my God, I, I will die a happy woman right now. And so when they hired me, I always hid my age. Um, You know, how could I compete with the, you know, amazing Pentagon correspondence and all these things, you know, and I tried for a second. And then I realized, you know what, my age is my biggest asset. And so I created a series called Young People Who Rock. (laughs) I highlighted young people under 30 every week doing amazing things. So I used that what I thought was, you know, one of my setbacks, I used that to create my own niche. And I could fill that. You know, the Pentagon correspondence and stuff, they filled their own thing. And I filled something that was only something I could do. It's interesting. I think that a lot of people, what happens is they get into a rut at work, right? And you get, what happens if you've become uh, this person at work who you don't really like? Do you feel like you can reinvent yourself at the same organization? Or do you think that that's maybe a sign you need to be moving somewhere else? I don't know. It could be either. Um, You know, I always believe in redemption. It's never too late to do anything. I I talk about a bunch of women who started their careers later in life. Martha Stewart, you know, whatever. Um, You know, people that didn't weren't even in a business um, in the early parts of their career. And so it's never too late, even if you are working at a company. I don't know if it's time to jump. Maybe you try that thing on the side as a side hustle and maybe you do jump. Um, But you know what? I... (laughs) My favorite story, and I write this in the book, is my favorite bathroom attendant. I love this story. <laughs> I wanted to ask you what restaurant it was, but I'm sure you can't tell me on the air, but okay. Well, no, it's a restaurant in Philly, okay. and I um, I would go there all the time, and this amazing bathroom attendant would be like, she, she was my hero, and she treated me like a princess. She you know, had this crazy accordion file with everybody's initial for a napkin on it. She asked everybody her, your name, and so she had like a customized napkin for you. She had like every flavor of every Listerine or whatever, and she had like she gave you extra special attention. And I talked to her, you know, because I talked to everybody. Um, and I said, you know, Doris, like what? what's the deal here? She was like, I hated my job. I was a bathroom attendant at Smelly Bathroom. Girls didn't tip me. They didn't pay attention to me. And then I made this like my own domain. I made it a job I liked. It wasn't up to anybody else but me to own this domain and make it something that I was jazzed about doing every day. And then people started hiring her to do private events. And then they started tipping her. She had this little sign that was like, cash, you know, hugs, cookies are square, you know, accepted or something like that. And it was so, you know, touching and personal. And so, you know, anywhere you are, whether it's in a bathroom or, you know, a cubicle or whatnot, you know, you figure out how to own the stuff that you're good at and that can also help the company at large and will help your momentum. And if you're starting off in your career, that's great advice also, which is you may be feeling like this is like a rotten first job. It opens the door. But, you know, if you show enthusiasm and that passion and you're also self-aware to the point where you're saying, like, I, I'm not like stop trying to project that you're the boss or you want to be the boss. I can't stand when people are like, I want your job. When I used to interview them, I'm like, OK, well, like, why don't you put in 20 years and then you can have my job? Maybe you will have my job. Maybe you'll do it better. But don't lead with that. So the idea of embracing where you are and being great at what you do, no matter what it is, I think that is actually a a huge key to future success. Like just 
don't kill yourself to get somewhere else. Be really good at what you do right this second. Yeah, and and you know what? You're not going to be great at everything. But figure out what that is and own it. You know, my biggest pet peeve when um, I invest in companies and people will pitch me and my show is is just like that. We invest in entrepreneurs. When they tell, I say, what's your goal? And they say it's to sell to some big strategic. I'm like, no, no, your goal is to be the best thing you are right at this very second. You're like the best thing you are right at this very second. <laughs> and it's also like, remember that Yelp employee that wrote this open letter to the CEO of Yelp and was like, I can't live on this money. It's so unfair, blah, blah, blah. Nothing is unfair. Like you and I have both been there. Like I ate beans and rice for a year. Like, you know what? You have to do it. We all, you know, if I didn't have any connections in my life. I had to figure it out the hard way. I worked my way. Um, I, it wasn't fancy. You know, you don't, I, to get here, I did a million small markets. People are like, how do you get on CNN? How do you get on these fancy shows? And you know what? It's all the millions of little interviews. And so do that first. Right. Before we finish our interview. Oh, my God. It's almost done. I know. We're going to stay forever. I know. We'll we'll have you back. Don't worry. So beginning of the program, we said, hey, what was the best money decision you made? And it was a way to break down and paying off your credit Mm -hmm. card bills. Now, what is the worst money decision that you've made? You know, it's interesting. It actually has to do with um, a significant other. It was not talking about money. And I think it's one of the biggest causes of breakups, financial infidelity, not being open and honest, not being clear. And so I don't know if that was the answer you were expecting. That's good. That's a good one. But it's a true one. And, you know, it's also we were talking a little bit um, before we started about the things that you say or don't say as women. And I think those have actually affected me in my career more than you think apologizing too much, you know, not saying thank you when you're getting a compliment, Um, not saying no sometimes. You know, there's a there's a very famous business um, idea of if it's not hell, yes, it's no. If it's maybe it's no. And so I think realizing that not money decisions weren't necessarily about taxes and budgets and numbers and math. It's about, you know, how we have relationships vis-a-vis money, because I think every story goes back to money. And if you want to get to the heart of any story, any relationship, you have to follow the money trail. Nicole Lappin is the author of Boss Bitch, a simple 12-step plan to take charge of your career. Nicole, thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Okay, it's time for our favorite part of the program, your calls. If you have a financial question, an investing question, a tax question, education funding question, I don't care. Anything that sort of smells of money and you need a little bit of help, send us an email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. That's ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. And we'll arrange to get you on the air live. And right now we are going to speak with Jesse, who's calling from Missouri. Hey, Jesse, welcome to Better Off. What can I do for you? Oh, greetings. Uh, uh, I have employed with a company for 20 years and had a 401k with them the whole time. And uh, recently moved to another company mm-hmm. who also has a 401k. And um, I just cracked 50 a couple of years ago, and I'm thinking perhaps I should go a different way rather than moving my previous 401k into my new 401k. I'm you know, thinking more about the uh, costs associated with their management and such. Okay. But uh, I really don't know where else to go with it. Well, let's talk a little bit about where the – so the money currently in the current 401k, what is the company that holds that? Not the company you worked for, but the investment management company. What's the in the old 401k? Who, are, who runs that? 
Oh, goodness. I wish you had that in front of me. Um, uh, is it still, it used to be Evergreen. Okay. Okay. That's fine. Okay. And what about the new plan? Do you know who manages the new plan? No, no. We're just looking into that now. Okay. Here's what you want to look at. I mean, first of all, you're right to be very focused on fees because obviously every dollar that you pay to an investment management company is a dollar that you're not making. So if you've got an old plan and it sounds like it might be in some managed mutual funds, you could have an opportunity to save some money, right? So, and, and you said how much money is in there about right now? A little over 110. Okay. So that's like real money. And you might say, well, okay, what could I do with it? I could either leave it where it is. I could move it into my new plan or I could move it into a rollover IRA. So basically the money comes out of the 401k. It stays as a tax deferred vehicle. It's into a rollover and you can put whatever you want in it in terms of investments. Now, the the good news is that you're probably not going to leave it where it is, but either route of the putting the money in your new employer's plan or a rollover IRA is probably going to be cheap for you because we're going to figure out a way to get you super inexpensive index funds. So what I want you to be able to do is when you're looking at the new plan, and you can give us a call back or shoot shoot us an email, I want you to send me a copy of the plan choices you have. Because if you're in a, a big 401k plan and there's a bunch of index funds that are available to you in that plan, what you may want to do is just roll from the old 401k into the new 401k. And the beauty of that is, of course, that it's easier to keep track of. You're already contributing to that plan. You can manage it pretty easily, right? It's not a big deal. And if you, as long right. as you're using index funds in the new plan, you're going to be safe territory in terms of keeping your expenses down. Now, very familiar. Okay, now let's just pretend you call me up uh, in a week and you say, uh, I don't have that kind of plan. I have a plan with very expensive mutual funds. It looks like they're, you know, 1%, 1.5% in, in a given year. What are your alternatives? Then we start talking about an IRA rollover. And the cool thing about a rollover is, like I said, you can move it anywhere you want. You can move it to a big, no-load mutual fund company. You can move it to our sponsor, Betterment, and put the money in there. But whatever you choose to do with that rollover, the same discipline applies. You are looking to find a very cheap way of investing. Now, look, a big, huge retirement plan can have fees of, uh, let's say, about three quarters to one percent a year. But when you're talking about low cost index funds or uh, or a robo advisor, you're talking about fees of less than a quarter of a percent a year. So, again, it totally depends on what your options are. And I, like I said, I don't think you're going to go wrong either way. It's just that when we have more information, I think we can make a better decision for you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. All right. Well, then you owe me a call, okay? (laughs) Sounds great. I'll give you a call back uh, uh, next week early. That sounds awesome. Thanks so much for calling, Jesse, and good luck to you. Thank you, Jill. Take care. Thanks to Nicole Lappin, author of Boss Bitch, for joining us this week. It was so much fun. And thank you for all those great questions. Don't forget, there's a new episode of the Better Off Podcast every Thursday. You can subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you have any questions or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Jill on Money. That's at Jill on Money. Just use the hashtag better off. You can also reach me via email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. That's ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a review or a rating in iTunes. It really will help us out. Better Off is sponsored by Betterment. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Delercio produces. I'm Jill Schlesinger. See you next week.